The Chet Topic Podcast Network. Welcome to Sports Cars, a podcast where Chicago sports broadcasting pioneer and a national legal expert get into the legal goings of sports. And now your hosts, Chet Kovic and Lester Munson. Sports Court time. How you doing, everybody? I'm Chet Kovic, joined by America's premier sports legal analyst, Lester Munson from ESPN. Uh, Lester, I have determined that with uh, Michael Vick, he should wear a T-shirt that says, on any given Sunday, there is one hell of a chance that either a family member or one of my good friends is going to screw the living daylights out of me. <laughs> that would fit right into the last eight years of his life. There is no question about it. His own brother, Marcus, the notorious, the immortal Marcus Vick, sitting in jail right now for a probation violation. And no doubt what he's trying to do is trying to get a hold of his brother for maybe a loan, quote-unquote, maybe a grant, Maybe a gift. Who knows? You know, how do we explain? I mean, in the in the great scheme of life, I'm looking at Michael Vick, and I'm thinking to myself, I thought Mike Tyson led the nation in leeches. Can't we now put Michael Vick into the Mike Tyson category? I think we can. Uh, I interviewed one of his financial advisors, the only really good financial advisor he ever had, a guy named Michael Smith. He's in Phoenix, Arizona. And Michael Smith obviously knew. He's talking to me from ESPN. I said, what about Michael Vick? Why do these things happen to him? He said, well, there are two things. Number one, he's dumb. Number two, he's gullible. He says this on the record about his former client, and that is the problem. He will listen to anybody's plea for help. He's a generous guy. He thinks he has unlimited funds, and so he gives people what they want. You know, I, I find this to be remarkable about uh, brother uh, Marcus Vick. He's uh, standing in court in front of a judge. He's down on a account of marijuana. He uh, he wants his sentence knocked down from 20 days, and the judge is so impressed by Marcus Vick, he says, fine, you got 30 days. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That, that's one of those quirky things in the state of Virginia. If you don't like what the first judge did, you can go to another judge. You can take an appeal. And the problem is, and somebody probably didn't explain this to Marcus or Marcus didn't understand it, you start over again. And so the second judge did exactly what can happen. He gave him 30 days instead of 20. So now Marcus sits in jail in Norfolk, Virginia, for an extra 10. You know, Lester, um, why don't we make a movie out of this? Chris Rock <laughs> can play uh, can play Michael Vick. Uh, you know, uh, you can play one of his uh, financial advisors. Um I'll, I'll find some role as maybe, you know, Arthur Blank's uh, uh, right-hand man. But, I mean, can we say for all practical purposes that this guy has been raped beyond imagination? I have never seen anybody. I have written many stories about people, athletes who've been ripped off by agents, by financial advisors, by investment schemes. I have never seen anybody as ripped off as badly or as often as Michael Vick. Out of six financial advisors, only one did the right thing for him. Somehow, Michael Vick found these guys, and they then did what they knew they could do and get away with. They took them for everything they could. All right, uh, let's change gears for a moment. Bernie Madoff, the essence of Ponzi scheme, financial uh, pond scum, literally clobbering everybody. Explain to me how Fred Wilpon, who owns the New York Mets, winds up making... 48 million bucks. Everybody else gets clobbered. 
Wilpon makes 48 million bucks. How? Uh, Madoff had many investors. Some were small investors. By sw- small, we mean a million or three million dollars, four million dollars. Others were very big investors. There's a small group of very large investors whom Madoff paid back and paid back a profit. He took from the small investors and gave that money to the big-time investors, which now we know include Fred Wilpon. Fred Wilpon invested $520 million that he had lying around with Bernie Madoff, and he got back $571 million, close to a $50 million profit. So he is one of those, is he just lucky? Is it because Madoff did him a favor? Is there some fraud involved here? What is going on? There's more to come on Wilpon and Madoff. Well, legally speaking, if you were... um if you were a New York prosecutor, wouldn't you want to sit down with Fred Wilpon right now? And might there come a time, with your legal background, might there come a time where, given the circumstances involving Bernie Madoff, where Wilpon is going to have to cough the money up? There is. Uh, this, the legal term that applies to this is called voidable preference. Voidable <laughs> preference. Isn't that a great phrase? What this means is that Madoff got his money at the expense of other people who invested with... Wilpon got his money at the expense of other people who invested with Madoff. So therefore, he was a preferred customer. That can be voided by the bankruptcy trustee. And now, if you're Fred Wilpon, you're going to go to the trustee and say, wait a minute, here's the money back. I didn't know this was going on. I don't want any further investigation. Let's bring this to an end before it becomes worse. You know, by the way, when uh, Lester and I wrap up this uh, edition of uh, Sports Court, what's first on the agenda? A delicious Miller beer. You know it goes down just as smoothly as it can possibly go down. Hey, I don't care if you're on the job, you're playing racquetball, you're out jogging, whatever the case may be. You just want to kick back and relax. You can't do a better job than relaxing with Miller Beer. Uh, Billy Hunter, President, NBA Players Association. Uh, can you explain to us, Lester, the, the myriad duties and the, the 18 hours a day he puts in to earn his $3 million bucks a year to run the union? Well, Billy Hunter came into a union that was in some disarray. They had had a couple of guys who did them no good at all. One guy, Charles Grantham, the players thought was actually stealing from them. So he came into something that was in disarray. He had been a federal prosecutor. He knows how to investigate things. So he did manage to put things back together again. When it comes to collective bargaining, however, and bargaining with, of all people, David Stern, maybe the most shrewd and cunning commissioner that ever walked, that's where Billy Hunter probably is going to have some difficulty. He has not done well bargaining for the players. Obviously, the players are making a lot of money. Could they be making more with a little better job on collective bargaining? Yes, I believe they could. If you had uh, NBA boss David Stern on one side of the table, debating NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell at the other table. Wouldn't Goodell basically be mismatched? He would be totally mismatched. Uh, The only difference there is that Goodell is smart enough to keep very good people around him. He's got the great Joe Brown as his PR man. I think the most impressive PR man I have ever encountered anywhere. He's got a lawyer by the name of Jeff Pash, who if I had to pick one lawyer... In the whole world to help me, I'd be calling Jeff Pash. He is smart. 
He is a charming guy. He's got a sense of humor, and he's always three steps ahead of the opposition. You know, uh, that reminds me of the first time you and I really hooked up. We go back to, uh, my gosh, 1991, 1992, 17, 18 years ago, Mike Tyson, the rape trial in Indianapolis, Desiree, Washington. You were the first guy, and the trial was in progress, to tell me that Tyson was going to go down, and one of the reasons it was going to be he was getting a lousy defense from Vincent Fuller. He sure was. Vincent Fuller was with a firm called Williams & Connolly in Washington. That's Edward Bennett Williams, the guy that owned uh, the Redskins, Redskins for a while. Um, a brilliant lawyer. Vincent Fuller, in his, in his own specialty, is a great, was a great criminal defense lawyer, but his specialty was tax and white-collar kinds of crime. Here he was defending a crime of violence, a rape of a young woman. He was not the right lawyer for the case, and he misread and underestimated the prosecution in the case. He did a very, very bad job for Mike Tyson. Lester, the way it was always explained to me was that uh, Greg Garrison, the local prosecutor in Indianapolis, was just as down-home and chummy as he could be. And when they were interviewing uh, uh, prospective jurors, uh, when one person was out of in Broad Ripple, he'd talk about the Dairy Queen in Broad Ripple. And at the yeah. other table, you had Vincent Fuller walking around in custom-made suits, flashing uh, cufflings big as jaybird eggs, who completely turned off every juror in the building. It was amazing how well uh, Garrison did in that case. He was a brilliant lawyer before. He's a brilliant lawyer now, but this was his ultimate concert-level performance. One day when they were selecting the jury... The jurors are all sitting around, like 50 people, and Garrison walks in. He sits down among the jurors, and he's talking to them about what the Hoosiers did the night before, and Bobby Knight this and Bobby Knight that. Vincent Fuller and his eight Washington, D.C. lawyers are over in the corner. They didn't know who Bobby Knight was. That's how mismatched things were in Indianapolis. I, I, it was, And here's Garrison working all by himself against these eight lawyers in just as you say in the custom made suits. Why would a why would a guy like Don King, who had this incredible meal ticket, this will baffle me until the day I die. Why would King enlist Fuller? How did King get conned? Or did King very perversely want to see Tyson go down? Many people see there was a conspiracy there involving King and, and having Tyson go to jail. I think what happened is King is a very smart, shrewd character. He, I love listening to him. Oh, yeah. I would never want to make a deal with him because I know I would get snookered. But Vincent Fuller, the lawyer, managed to walk Don King away not guilty on a tax fraud case in which, if you look at it objectively, King was in real trouble. And somehow King did not see the difference between a tax fraud case and a crime of violence, a rape case, and so he hired the lawyer who had rescued him to try to rescue Tyson, and it was a very bad decision. Was King naive enough to believe that the star power of Mike Tyson was going to uh, just explode and baffle the jurors so he could win with Fuller? I'm sure that was part of the defense strategy. When that trial began, we had 400 media. It's hard to believe that now, that Tyson wow. has become such a clown. We had media from Japan, from the U.K., from France. They're all there assembled. If you took a poll, everyone would say Tyson's going to walk away from this because he was the baddest man on the planet, because of his notoriety and his celebrity, and because of Don King being the shrewd, 
operator, it was only when the trial began and you started looking at the evidence that you knew that Tyson was in real bad trouble. Lester, if you're uh, the National Football League right now, obviously Kevin and Pat Williams, two big interior defensive linemen, Minnesota Vikings, they've beaten their wraps so far. Both should be serving four-game suspensions or should have served four-game suspensions. Is there anything you can do legally this year to put those two guys on the sidelines? Uh, there is, and the National Football League is doing it. They lost the case in the Court of Appeals, and instead of accepting that defeat, they have now asked for a rehearing in the Court of Appeals. Instead of having three judges, they will now have nine or ten judges if the Court of Appeals goes along with it. When you look at this case, it appears, to me at least, that the NFL ought to win this case. I don't have any doubt in my mind that the judges in Minneapolis so far have made blunders on this case. Maybe now the NFL, when it gets into a larger group of judges, they could win this, and here we have a team, 6-0, and they could face the loss of these guys during the last four, five, or six games of the season. It, it, this is a case that is not over. How embarrassed right now is the NFL, given the fact that the NFL historically doesn't lose these kind of battles? No. In fact, I mean, the NFL is practically unscored upon. You you tell me how embarrassed right now the league is over Kevin and Pat Williams. Uh, the NFL is totally embarrassed about this. They thought this was going to be an easy case, win a few ball games. We're going to see how far this will get. Hey, by the way, uh, off the legal beat, Jay Cutler, brand new money with the Bears, 20 mil guaranteed. Bears have plenty of cap room this year, so it's really from a business perspective, it's a great deal for the Bears. Luster, he will not last in Chicago through 2013. This guy is Barbara Streisand in shoulder pads. He's a diva. He requires more wardrobe changes than, than Diana Ross. I'm telling you, by, by 2011, by mid-2011, the Bears will be dying to get this guy out of Dodge. Well, that is an amazing prediction. You may be right. You know more about it than I do. I, I do like watching him throw the ball. I'll have to say that. I'm not sure he's one of the Manning brothers, but he's the next level below those two guys and maybe Drew Brees and a couple others. Yeah, but if he left Chicago right now, he'd be remembered for one thing, setting meat course and pool records for throwing <laughs> interceptions in Sunday night ball games right. before the season reaches Halloween. Right. <laughs> How does he do it? No more Sunday night games, please. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, the Dodgers, we have a divorce issue. Give me, uh, give me the rundown. Well, uh, a lot of baseball people are worried about the ownership of the Dodgers. Frank McCourt and his wife are on their way to divorce court. It'll be a billion-dollar divorce. And the reason they're worried is, in San Diego, there was a similar situation. A couple by the name of Moores, they got into a divorce. The entire team ended up in turmoil, and a team that should have done reasonably well had a terrible season. So certain people look at this and they say it's the ownership turmoil that caused the demise of the Padres. Can this now cause equal trouble for the Dodgers? Joe Torre says, no, I stand between the ownership and the players. The players don't have to worry. But if if the Dodgers... Uh, end up out of the playoffs here pretty quickly, which could easily happen, and then the divorce starts, who knows? Maybe the divorce had something to do with it. I wonder, uh, looking at the the Phoenix Coyotes, their ownership turmoil, which went on for an extended period of time, they were coached by a guy by the name of Wayne Gretzky. Uh, The Gretzky scorecard uh, behind the bench is not all that impressive. Four years on the job, 
The club never went to the playoffs. I wonder if during those last couple of years, the turmoil in Phoenix actually might have affected uh, Wayne's players. It could easily have affected uh, the players. It very definitely affected Gretzky. He finally, with a couple of years left at $8 million a year on his contract, resigned, just walked away from the entire thing. And now, incredibly, after as much turmoil as you could ever imagine, the Coyotes have won five out of seven games. They're in second place in their division. Figure that out. How did that happen? Was it because Gretzky left? Because the turmoil has become acceptable? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm amazed the Coyotes are doing as well as they are. Lester, um, are you are you as taken aback as I am by, number one, the evolution of the Blackhawks in Chicago? And number two, do you see John McDonough in the predicament I see, and that's this. Right now he's got a very exciting team. The building is sold out. Sponsorship is through the roof. It's sexy to be involved with the Blackhawks. John's big problem is this. The NHL, under Bettman's direction, is such a minor league with so many faceless franchises that there's a limit as to how far John can go with the Blackhawks. There may be, and he may be approaching that limit already. Certainly he has done... He has performed miracles here. They're filling a venue, 24,000 people. The old stadium only held whatever it was, six, close to 17,000. Right, and he's filling it up every night. This happened virtually overnight, and there are limits with the National Hockey League, and there are some of these anonymous teams. Columbus comes in, Nashville, but that doesn't seem to bother McDonough. That What will happen with him and the Blackhawks? If the National Hockey League has any sense at all, they'll look real hard at him and think maybe he should be doing a little more for the National Hockey League. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because I, I have a two-fold issue I want to bring to the table. Bud Selig eventually will retire. He'll go out kicking and screaming, right. but eventually he'll retire, and then he can go to the Dairy Queen you know, at uh, 10 a.m. <laughs> rather than noon for, uh, for lunch, as he's been doing for 35 years. Yeah. I can easily visualize a John McDonough dealing with 30 club owners, dealing with the Players Association, I can visualize McDonough running either Major League Baseball or the NHL and not missing a step. I can, too. I I have never seen a guy who is as quick, who is as positive, who gets the best out of people all around him uh, the way John does. He also has a great imagination. He's coming up with a new idea, it seems like, every hour, and he would be a great leader for either baseball uh, or hockey. Are the owners smart enough to figure that out? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Lester, in closing, uh, do you have any advice you'd like to offer Michael Vick? (laughs) (laughs) My advice to Michael Vick would be rediscover the joys of a certificate of deposit in a national bank. (laughs) Accept the 1% they will give you on a deposit of $50,000. That is the best thing I can say to him, and he's going to have to start uh, throwing the ball a little better. He is uh, Lester Munson. I'm Chad Kopic. This has been Sports Corp. Once again, brought to you by delicious Miller beer. Make it a Miller day. Make it a Miller weekend. When you're enjoying football on the tube, Saturday and Sunday, what goes down better than a great can of Miller beer? We'll catch you again next week with Sports Corp. Stay with us. So long, everybody.